0: Welcome to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch this and all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and be sure to subscribe while you're there. For sermon notes, click the link in the description. Today, our founding and senior pastor, Dr. David Anderson, continues a series called High Five. Today's message is called Mighty in Fortitude. Dr. Anderson will teach the basics of being rooted in Christ and growing in Him as Colossians 2, verses 6 through 8 commands. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's sermon. Praise the Lord, Bridgeway. Today we're talking about Mighty in Fortitude. We're in our fourth installment of a five-week series called High Five. We've been preaching out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Today we want to talk about being mighty in fortitude. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you can help us become mature and mighty in Christ. May today's word move us in that direction of spiritual maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Together everyone said, amen and amen. When you are young in the faith and spiritually immature, it is easy for every wind of doctrine to blow us in different directions. Today, what I want to do is I want to teach you how you can become strong and mighty in your fortitude against false doctrines and aberrant teachings that will only throw you into spiritual confusion and leave you spiritually flimsy. Do you know people who are spiritually Flimsy. What about you? Are you spiritually flimsy? One day you believe this religion. The next day you believe that religion. Spiritually flimsy. One day you hold to this philosophy. The next day you hold to this philosophy. Spiritually flimsy. You announce your new faith one year, and then the next year you reject the same faith that you embraced. Spiritually Flimsy. You believe that all religions lead to God. Flimsy. You believe that everyone goes to heaven and there's no such thing as hell. Flimsy. You believe that Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad And Confucius and Gandhi and Mother Teresa and the Virgin Mary are all equal deities and divines sent by God. Flimsy, flimsy, flimsy. You believe that God and the universe are the same thing. Flimsy. You believe that your destiny can be discovered in horoscopes and astrology and fortune tellers and fortune cookies, flimsy. You go through bad circumstances in your life and now you question the very existence of God. Flimsy. You see, spiritual flimsiness comes from clumsy and confusing teachings that are not based on God's word, the Bible. Let me give you today's sermon in a sentence, if you will. And that is this. Spiritual maturity weakens spiritual flimsiness and strengthens spiritual fortitude. Let me say it again. Spiritual maturity weakens spiritual flimsiness and strengthens spiritual fortitude. What is fortitude? Defined, it's the strength to bear misfortune, pain, or adversity with firm courage, whether it's the adversity of thought, whether it's the adversity of life, the ability to, to be strong and bear up under the greatest misfortunes, pain and adversity with a firm sense of courage. In other words, fortitude means not being flimsy. It means you don't go down easily. It means that you're spiritually tough and you won't topple over at the easiest opposition. It means that you know how to take a punch from life and get back up. Or the way the Apostle Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 9, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down. But not destroyed. Paul is saying, yes, we have been knocked down, but we were never knocked out. That's fortitude. Paul is saying that, listen, there are times that you're gonna be knocked out and and knocked down, but you're not gonna go out cold and stay out cold. You're gonna get back up no matter what comes your way. Or, like that great theologian once said, I quote from Mike Tyson. Everybody has a plan until he gets punched in the mouth. Hmm. Some of you have been punched in the mouth by life. But because of your fortitude, you are still standing. Because of your spiritual fortitude, you are still moving forward. Some of you don't even look like what you've been through. God has brought you through. You've got fortitude. You see, fortitude is that ability to stand for Christ when everything is being thrown at you. And no doctrine of teaching is going to sway you. No adversity is going to dissuade you. No false teacher is going to deceive you to believe in him or her against God's word. So how's your fortitude? How strong is your faith? To stand against false doctrine, false accusations, trials, tribulations, and even traumatic events that come in life. How can you and I become mature and mighty in Christ so that we are not enamored by the next new model of Christianity? There are new fads that come from time to time that make us flitter and and, and flutter from one book to the next, from one idea to the next, from one church to the next, from one trend to the next. We get excited about the newest and shiniest idea that sails past the ports of our lives. Now listen, I'm in no way saying that we should resist new innovations, new methods, renewed mindsets that reimagine strategies and old structures. In fact, I embrace new innovations. I encourage new ideas and improvements, and I welcome new revelations. But I'm also keenly aware that biblical aberrations and unbiblical affiliations can lead God's people astray and away from God's word and God's will. And as one of the spiritual authorities that you've allowed in your life, I want to help you become more mature and mighty in Christ so that you will not be flimsy, fluttering back and forth with every wind of doctrine. So to our main passage, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Today I'll handle verses 14 and 15. Next week we'll end the series with verse 16. We've gone through every verse, line by line. But let me pick it up at verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, the five-fold ministry. Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built, may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. We saw those three things in one of our messages. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Last week, we talked about mighty and fullness. Today, mighty in fortitude, verses 14 and 15. Then, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In verse 14, I want to make three observations that will help you. Here's observation number one. Are you ready? Here it is. Solid teaching produces fortified believers, false teaching produces flimsy believers. Let me say that observation again. Solid teaching produces fortified believers, false teaching produces flimsy believers. Flimsiness comes from what people are taught. And if their teachers are teaching flimsy, weak messages that don't come from God's word, then that's what followers will pick up and that's what their faith will produce. And there are false teachers and false doctrines that come through our lives and come through the church and come through the media waves that if we're not discerning enough, we'll pick them up and believe them. But what I want you to do is believe what Peter said in Second Peter chapter 2, the first three verses I read. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing the way of destruction on themselves. Verse 2. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. In verse 3, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. What Peter is saying is to the believers, you need to know that there are false teachers and false doctrine. So when we preach Christ and we preach inviting into your life and then we teach you the word of God, we're trying to grow you up with milk of the word until you get older, meat of the word, so that you can mature and become mighty in Christ. Part of that maturity is understanding that there are false teachers and false preachers and false writings to try to give you a, a mixture and a confusion to contaminate God's word, which then contaminates your faith, which then makes you flimsy and not strong in Christ. What are the elements of a false teacher? Well, Peter tells us. And so let's just sit on this this passage, the first three verses, because Peter tells us what the elements are of a false teacher. Number one, they are among the people. They are among the people. It says it twice in verse one. False prophets are among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. In other words, they're among you. Just like Matthew 13 talks about where the wheat and the tares grow up together. And so we need to understand that while we're in the body of Christ, yes, we will be with other people who are like wheat. They are growing for Christ. But there are also people planted in that same garden that are tares, which means they are not the real deal. And it says in Matthew 13, Jesus' parable, that they, they grow up together. Jesus goes on to say, don't try to identify the tares and pull them out. In the last day, he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. But what Peter is telling us is that they are among us. I, say, I think sometimes we think that false teachers and false teaching and false prophets are not inside the church, but they're outside somewhere And they're waving a flag telling you, these are lies, these are lies, these are really contaminated lies. Hello, everybody. We just want you to know these are great lies, and we're false. That's not how false teaching works. Part of spiritual maturity is understanding that everyone's not right in the head. Innocence as a child is one thing. But as an adult, you've got to learn that not everyone is safe. Uncle Joe's not always safe. As you get older, you start to realize that even family members who you love may not always be right in the head. Don't be naive. Innocence as a child is one thing. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I, I thought like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish ways, childish thinking so You've got to realize that children's innocence should be protected, but as they grow up, you've got to teach them that not everybody is safe. That's a part of maturity. When you realize that you need boundaries and that everybody is not safe, what are the elements of a false teacher? The first one is that they're among the people. Second one, they are secretive in their teaching. Notice what it says. It says in verse 1, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They're secretive in their teaching. If you have people who are teaching you and they're secretive about it, you've got to have your intent up. Something's up. There's nothing secret about God's word. God has revealed his word to us. And while there are secrets and mysteries in God's word, God is the only one that can reveal those. And when you have teachers who are trying to teach in secret, something's wrong. I remember there was a time in our church where there was a Korean uh, guy in the church, and he was teaching uh, in a small group. And he was telling people in his language, because that's primarily what he spoke was Korean, that he had my covering and our church's covering to be their pastor, and that he was the pastor of the church. By the way, this was not, for those of you who might know some of our Korean brothers and sisters, this was not a minister, Noel, our intern at a time. Most of you wouldn't even know this guy. He's not in the church anymore because we took care of that. But here's the bottom line. The reason how I found out, the, the way I found out is because one of the women that were in that small group called my wife and spoke in Korean to tell her that this man is saying that he's basically the pastor of the church and of the Koreans of the church and so start bringing more Koreans to his small group. So as soon as she told me that, we handled that pretty quickly. So that thing got disbanded and he ran away, which is a good thing. But it was because somebody in the group was mature enough to go to Lady Amber and say, something doesn't smell right here. When there is a sense of secret followership within the body, something is not right. False teachers are among you, number one, but they're trying to be secret in their teaching, number two. And number three, it says right here, 2 Peter chapter 2, now verse 1b, it says they teach destructive heresies. They teach destructive heresies. Heresy means opposing and contrarian beliefs to orthodox Christianity. It doesn't mean that we don't have different views, but heresy is taking you away from the biblical view of what the scriptures say, and they're destructive because they're tearing down the very foundations of the orthodoxy that Christ has taught. Here's the fourth thing. They deny the sovereign Lord. It says that in one c it's no longer Christ alone. He actually, it actually says that. Even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing the way of destruction on themselves. It means that they are no longer teaching Christ alone. It's Christ plus. Yeah, we believe in Christ and his bodily resurrection and he was crucified and all that. But also, and then they start adding stuff to it. Listen. If you follow people who are adding things to Christ, Christ has to be central. And if Christ is no longer central but put on the side along with other philosophies, then he is not preeminent. And if he's not preeminent, they're not teaching God's word. And it says that these false prophets deny the sovereign Lord. That's what we mean, sovereign. He's in charge over all things. He's number one over all things, over all religions, over all doctrines, over all belief systems. He's number one over all, preeminent in Christ. It's Christ alone. No more. No less. Christ alone. This is absolutely critical because in a day and age when Christ is looked at as a prophet and a good man and maybe he's even the Lord, there are other lords and there are other gods and there are other prophets along the way. They are not equal to Christ. It's Jesus Christ alone. Can you say it? Jesus Christ alone. Say this, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It says that these these false prophets are among us, secretive, destructive heresies. They deny the sovereign Lord. Number five, they're greedy for money. Instead of being hungry for ministry, they're greedy for money. If you find people who are greedy for money, then they should not be spiritual leaders, elders, clergy. Now, I'm not saying they should not make money. I'm not saying that they should not be blessed to make money. But they should not be greedy for money. And I would say the next thing is, number six, they exploit people. And those two things can go together. We've had people before in our ministry, even clergy, who exploit people. And when we find out that people are trying to exploit believers, we jump right in. I'll never forget one time I was stuck in a hotel in, in Cleveland during the winter. My wife and I were flying, I believe it was to Hawaii. But because of weather, we got dropped down in, 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 in Cleveland, and we had to spend the night in an airport hotel. Well, she likes to sleep in a little late, so I like to let her sleep. I grabbed my laptop, went down to the, uh, the lobby area, and found myself a corner in a restaurant somewhere to work on my word. And I was all by myself for a while until this one guy came up to me. And he says, are you Dr. Anderson from Bridgeway? I said, uh, yeah. Seven in the morning, snowing in Cleveland. What are you doing here? Come to find out, this guy says, man, I've been trying to meet you for a long time. I've been going to Bridgeway for a long time. I'm on a business trip myself, and we're stuck here stuck here in Cleveland, and I've been wanting to meet with you. I said, well, cool, what's your name? And he told me his name, and I said, well, what would you want to meet about? He goes, man, I've been trying to meet with you for several years, but I went to another clergy, and they, they kept blocking him and never let, never, let me, never let me get to you. I said, well, you could always come up to me in the lobby uh, after the Services and stuff. He said, yeah, but I wanted to make sure it was all appropriate. There's nothing to talk about there. I wanted to talk to you about a financial gift to the ministry. I said, well, you got my ears open now. <laughs> my ears are wide open. What are we talking about here? And we went on and had that conversation. We ended up becoming really good friends and still are. Finally, when we got to a place where our friendship was secure, he said, can I tell you something else? He said, the person that had been blocking me for a couple of years has been hitting me up for money. The money I wanted to give to the cupboard, the money I wanted to give to the church, he's been hitting me up for money personally. I just didn't feel like it was appropriate. So that's when I backed off. So I saw that time when I saw you in Cleveland as an opportunity where God did an ending around so we could connect. You see, false prophets, false teachers exploit people. They're among you. They're secretive. They're destructive heresies they teach. They deny the sovereign Lord. They're greedy for money. They exploit people. But God always has a plan to expose those kinds of exploitations. Who knew that while I was going on a trip with my wife, God would expose someone's exploitation? Again, no longer here. Let me give you the seventh and final uh, sign, if you will, elements of false prophets according to Second. Peter chapter 2. And it says it right in verse 3. This is the last one. Check out what it says. I think this is a trip. It says, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you, check this out, with stories they made up. (laughs) Here's number seven. They make stuff up. They make Stuff up. They make up stories. Listen, I tell you, love always trusts, right? That's 1 Corinthians 13. Trust, but verify. You can vet them. Vet their stories. Cool thing about John chapter 9 and the man born blind? Listen, he didn't just say, hey, I once was blind, now I see, and it was unverifiable. Everyone knew he was blind. Everyone now knows he can see. They're just trying to figure out what happened and how it happened. But there was no sense of argument about whether this person was blind or not truly blind, or maybe they were just 10% blind. There was none of that. Everyone knew he was born blind. They check with the parents. They check with the community. They're asking questions about how it happened. But the miracle was seen in front of everyone. When you start hearing about all these miracles, but they can't be verified or vetted, you've got to wonder, are they a miracle or not? Are people making stories up? Now, I'm the first one to want to believe in a miracle. If it's a miracle and God did it, I want to celebrate it. But I also know that false prophets who are among you like to make stuff up. And you've got to be discerning enough to realize when someone's making stuff up. When I wrote about the Kenyan story in my book with regard to the 2007 post-election violence, and that all the provinces except one had bloodshed, and the one that didn't have bloodshed was the one that we had been teaching in for five or six years prior to that election, and they became known the village of peace in Webuya, Kenya, in the western province of Kenya. Guess what? That's a verifiable story. It's not just something I'm making up. They say it's because of gracism. They say they became the village of peace. It's in the public record. And then when I went back in 2013 and I was speaking at a conference to bishops in Mombasa, Kenya, the government official that was there to speak after me was sitting right in the front. And as I told the story about no violence in with Kenya because they were applying the principles of gracism to their province. That government official who was supposed to speak after me when I was done and walked off and people clapped, he stayed in his seat and he could not move. And then finally he slowly got up as they were waiting for him to come to the microphone. And then he gets to the microphone and he says in front of hundreds of bishops, I grew up in Wibuya, Kenya, and I was a teacher in school, and I remember exactly when this happened. I just never met the man that actually brought racism to our town." We were the only place that never experienced violence and bloodshed. And people from all different provinces were running to our province because we were known as the village of peace. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of the government right now, but I'm just shaken in this moment. And now I'm the head of cohesion for the Kenyan government. And I can attest to the fact that that's what happened. We don't have to make stories up. But I think it's important for us to at least be able to vet and verify. them. Let me not make you scared of false prophets. The goal is not for you to run around, oh, my gosh, false prophet, false doctor. No, remember, the wheat and the tares grow together. And guess what? Tares do grow, too. And so the newest thing looks like it's growing. The, the, The newest philosophy, it's growing. Everyone's following it. Maybe I ought to go after that. I don't want to miss my blessing. Listen, just because it's growing doesn't necessarily mean that it's right and grounded. Just because it's the newest exciting thing doesn't make it the best. Give it time. Let God show you what the wheat is and what the tear is. Well, verse 3 of this passage in 2 Peter kind of puts it all together, and it basically makes a promise, and that is this. Their destruction is sure. God will destroy those who are destroying his church. All right, what have we said so far? Well, we've talked about these seven different signs or elements of a false prophet, but we're talking in more broad terms about three observations from Ephesians 4, verse 14. And the first observation is that solid teaching produces fortified believers. False teaching produces flimsy believers. Here's a second broad observation from that verse. Write it down if you want. Serious learners must be serious discerners. Casual learners are usually casual discerners. Serious learners must become serious discerners. Casual learners are usually casual discerners. When you're a casual discerner, you are more apt to take in information without vetting its sources or its substance. Flimsiness comes from a lack of discernment from the learner. You see, it's not all about the teacher, but it's also about the learner. That's why in verse 14, notice that the learner is grasping at every wind of teaching. Every wind of teaching. Your responsibility as a learner is not to go after every wind of teaching. In fact, in Psalm 1, it says that that blessed is the man. Who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the word of God. And on his law doth he meditate day and night. He should be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water and bear fruit in season. But for the others, they're weak and they're flimsy. It says not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. So when you're a serious learner, you're not grasping at the wind of teaching because a lot of that teaching is like chaff, which the wind blows away. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. And then the next new thing comes in, you want to go after that one. The next new book goes out, you want to go after that one. And before you know it, they're having Bible studies around and they're doing video series around it. There's some really good, solid stuff out there. You just got to make sure that it's vetted and biblical. Every learner is called to be a serious discerner. And you can't chase every wind of doctrine. You can't read every book that's recommended. Someone gives you a book and say, this is a great book. Look at the spine. See who the publisher is. Check out the table of contents. Turn to the end of the book and see what their final word is, an opening of the book, and if you sense that this is not biblical or this is kind of shady, guess what? Donate it to the public library. The way my mama used to say is, David, you need to eat the fish and throw away the bones. Here's the thing. When I was a child, my mom had to feed me fish because she knew that I wouldn't be able to discern the difference between the fish and the bone and that I could choke on it. For children, for young people, we have to teach you how to, to discern the difference between the meat and the bones. But as you get older, now that I'm older, I can tell the difference between the meat and the bones. But honestly, I'm still careful when I eat fish because every now and then, Mom put just enough uh, fear in me, if you will, to have respect for those tiny little white bones that you can't tell. So I'm very careful. When I'm eating fish, we ought to be as careful when we're studying God's word and when we're listening to other people who are teaching us God's word. What we said so far, two of three observations. Number one, solid teaching produces fortified believers. False teachers produce flimsy believers. And secondly, serious learners must be serious discerners. Casual learners are usually casual discerners. Our sermon in a sentence is that spiritual maturity weakens spiritual flimsiness and strengthen spiritual fortitude. Here's the third and final observation from verse 14, and that is this. Scheming craftiness is Satan's mode of operation. Scheming craftiness is Satan's mode of operation. Look at what it says at the end of 14. By the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You know, when the serpent was in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, it was nothing but deception. That's all Satan was doing in the garden with Adam and Eve. He deceived Eve so that she would go against the word of God and her husband did as well. The description of the serpent is clear in chapter three, verse one. It says this about the serpent. Now the serpent was more, here it is, crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Just like Ephesians 4 says, the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And Satan uses that same tactic today. In Genesis 3, verse 1b, he says, did God really say to you, you should not eat from any tree in the garden? And then he lies in verse 4, you surely will not die, the serpent said to the woman. You see, Satan likes to, he likes to create confusion. This is why 1 Corinthians 14, says that God is not the author of confusion, So who do you think the author of confusion is? Flimsiness makes people vulnerable to spiritual confusion. And spiritual predators seize upon that confusion by introducing a controlling clarity that seems like nirvana at first. And that confused person takes hold of that new clarity. And before they know it, they're locked into a cult. Don't allow the confusion of the enemy to make the very clear things of God and what God said to become something that is contaminated and and hard to understand. Now, is there a lot in the Bible that's hard to understand? Sure there is. Is there a lot of discerning that needs to take place? Sure there is. Are there black and white issues? Sure there is. Is there a lot of gray in there that you have to discern? Is this culture or is this context? Yes. Is it culture? Is Is it what was spoken of in that day? Or is it constant? And there's some things in God's word that are constant, that were true yesterday, today, and forevermore, and those are universal laws and principles that will never change. But then there are those that are not constant. They're cultural. And so you've got to be able to look at some of that, and this is why we need the the, the five-fold ministries. Remember, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the preachers and the teachers and the clergy to kind of help us formulate how to think about it as we get older in Christ. Now, what is the best way then to fortify your faith? Because I know that's what you want, right? You want to fortify your faith so you are are strong and courageous and able to stand up against the wiles of the devil and and the false doctrines and teachings of the world. And even the difficult things that come in our life that are circumstances that can traumatize us. And it doesn't mean we don't feel all of that. But at the end of the day, we don't want to just throw our Christianity out because we've lost someone we loved or we found out we got a doctor's report that seems unfavorable. Those that are fortified in their faith can somehow still hold on to their faith even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So how can we best fortify our faith? Well, verse 15 tells us, and that's where we're going to stop today in verse 15. We'll handle 16 next week. It says this, instead, speaking the truth in love, We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ, speaking the truth in love. In other words, how do I fortify my faith? Truth is the answer. God's truth is the answer to spiritual flimsiness. If you want to get stronger, then you've got to know God's truth. Some practical applications coming out of this verse. Let me just say, number one, we must preach the truth in love. Without love, truth cannot be appropriately administered. And when we speak and teach and preach and explain God's word, we must do it lovingly with God's heart. Listen, if we speak God's word without God's heart, that means we're not really speaking for God, we're speaking for ourselves. Even for me, if I have people that speak on my behalf, whether it's clergy, whether it's uh, my, my support team or whatever, When people communicate on my behalf, I want them to not only pass on the content of my words. But I want them to pass on the sentiment of my words, don't you? You don't just want people to pass on your content. You want them to pass on your sentiment. If they just pass on the content with their sentiment, that contaminates what the other person is going to receive and then think about the originator of the content. We've got to speak the truth in love, but we've got to speak it with God's heart and then people will be free. Jesus said it himself in John 8, 31 and 32, that if you hold to my teachings, you are my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We must preach the truth in love. Secondly, as a practical application, we must possess the truth in our hearts. We preach it in love, but we've got to possess it inside of us. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. No one comes to Father God except through me. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is your day of salvation. Invite Christ into your life so you'll possess the truth inside of you. Then instead of chasing every wind of doctrine, you'll chase the one who is the truth and look for his words and his teaching. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed unto man to die once, and after that, the judgment. That's it. So if anybody's teaching you about reincarnation, say, that's a sweet philosophy. It's just not biblical. It's false teaching. You don't die and come back as something else. It's fun to talk about. I can think of all the kind of things I'd like to come back as. I could go down a list of that. Couldn't you? I mean, I love those kind of conversations. As long as you know, we're just having fun with it. Doc, if you could come back as something, what would you come back as? Oh, I got a couple things. And I tell you what I would do. I would be a terror to some people in my life. Okay, some people that were in my life. But you see, God God knew that that wasn't a plan. It was appointed on the man to die once, and then after that, the judgment. So if you were to die today, do you know whether you'd spend eternity in heaven with Christ? If you're not sure, then you probably are not saved. I want you to be sure so you can know the truth. The truth will set you free. Invite Christ into your life. Say, God, would you please forgive me for my sins? Thank you for sending Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Today, I make a decision to follow him. You can do it right in your car. You can do it in your your living room. You can do it in that cafe, wherever you are, anywhere in the world. Just invite him in by faith, and you will be born again, the scripture says, and that new life will begin in you. And if you do that today, send us a little email at bridgeway.cc. Go in and check out our email. Send us and let us know. We'll send you something to help you grow in your faith. I said three applications. We must preach the truth in love. We must possess the truth in our heart. Last and finally, we must practice the truth in our daily lives. There is no excuse for not learning God's word if you're at Bridgeway Community Church. There's no excuse. I counted up all the Bible study teachings, all the study opportunities for you at Bridgeway for the next 39 weeks. From the time we started September 12th until June uh, 12th. 39 weeks in this ministry year. And I counted it up. 39 Sunday sermons. 39 interactive Bible teachings from 12 to 1230 every, every Thursday for 30 minutes. 30 hours of preaching for the revival on October 29th and October 30th. 210 Wednesday night e-live classes that are offered to you between the time we started this ministry year and the time we end. 210 class offerings. They go at seven weeks in their duration multiple times throughout, throughout the year. Now listen, if you add all that up, You have 318 teaching and learning opportunities in God's word at Bridgeway Community Church this year. 318. That doesn't count the great sermon small groups. It doesn't count the life group teaching Bible studies like Pastor Gary does on Friday mornings. It doesn't count the uh, shape seminar that Pastor Dan did yesterday and the other seminars. I'm saying to you that over 318, you start adding all that up, that's once a day. I mean, you have so much opportunity to learn God's word if you decide you want to become a serious learner. And that's what I want you to become in order to grow. A serious learner who can become a serious discerner like the Bereans who went to the Bible and went to the word of God and went to what was taught to them to see if it was true. I have written inside this Bible that I've had and been preaching from since 1988. If your Bible is falling apart, that means your life probably isn't. And start bringing your Bible to church. Listen, I know you can put it up on your app, but while you're in church, in the living room, why not grab your Bible? Because it'll help you keep focused Like one brother was saying to me earlier, I can have my Bible app open and then a a notification pops up right during the sermon. Well, what happens? All of us, we're going to look at the notification. How about just pulling out the good old fashioned copy of the scriptures and and, and write down what the pastor says so you can go back and begin to look at the scripture references that I mentioned so you can look at it yourself. If you're going to be a serious learner, why not pull your Bible out? Some of your Bibles have so much dust on it, you probably don't even know where it is now. Today, go find it. Where's your Bible? What drawer is it in? What table is it sitting on? Dust that bad boy out. Flip the pages. Get a notebook. Get a pen. Get a highlighter. Write down your questions. Become a serious learner so you can become a serious discerner. You say, Well, I want to figure out some of all those different classes and stuff. Go to bridgeway.cc. All right? Hit a tab that says connect and then discipleship. And you can learn how to get involved in those courses from Wednesday Night Alive. Work the word and it will work for you. Work the word and it will work on you. Work the word and it'll work in you because spiritual maturity weakens spiritual flimsiness and strengthens spiritual fortitude